0: you are having fun with it that's a three-parter atheism is a non-profit organization i forgot to trust trust the process go kurt what kind of meter did you use that was almost dr sucia can i get a better effort from you on that you could say this podcast was actually born on a homophone. a little smart a little dribble and barely on top Pinko, Pinko, Doopi, Money, It's time for Smart Dribble, said the cockatoo. This is Kurt Schneider, your co-host. And John Ellenthal, your other co-host. And we are bringing you another edition of Smart Dribble. We promise the dribble, John.
1: And we hope, hope for the smart.
0: So this is episode number 22, I believe, John. I think that's approximately right or totally right. What would you like to talk about today? Because I know we have a fun topic
1: for our listeners. Before we jump into this week's topic, which I will do momentarily, our topic from last week, which was foreign borrowed words, I have good news for you, Kurt. You introduced so many Yiddish words into that episode that the Reformed Temples of America have given you an honorary bar mitzvah certificate. So (sighs) welcome, Kurt. You're now a member of the tribe. So... Thank you. I don't know uh, how to say thank you in Hebrew, but... Uh, I don't know either. It's like Mazel tov is like, good luck, congratulations. It's kind of like aloha. Mahalo. Well, maybe not. Mahalo. Mahalo. That's definitely not Yiddish, but that does sound very Hawaiian. It is. It's thank you in Hawaiian. You and I dig words. We dig language. We dig hair-splitting logic. Well,
0: I do. Not that I don't just sort of fly over logic. I just sort of bend logic to my conversation so it works. I overweight relative to
1: you in, in logic and precision. Which You're is kind a little, of funny coming from you. That is kind of funny coming from me, but most of our listeners only have you to compare me to. So if we were out against most of the people we find ourselves with, I think they'd have a very different perception of me. But when it's just the two of us, Anyone next to you looks like the logical one.
0: So, logical one. What are we talking about today?
1: On today's episode, we are going to talk about the confusing and fun world of homophones. Kurt, I want you to begin by defining homophones, which is not a homonym or a homograph. Tell our listeners what a homophone is.
0: A homophone, John, is when two words of completely different meanings sound the same. Their spelling was not the same. Their meaning certainly is not the same, but they sound the same. Okay, to make this
1: fun, we're going to focus on using sentences that have two or more homophones in them. Kurt, to kick us off here, do you have a favorite homophone pair or triad or triplet?
0: I There's a bunch of them like, I like. I love soul and soul. So why don't you use and that? Could enough? actually almost be a triptych because there's soul the fish, there's the soul on the bottom of your shoe, and then there's a soul inside it.
1: But the soul the fish and the soul on your shoe are spelled the same, so therefore they break the rule of homophones, Kurt. Correct. We just covered this, didn't
0: we? <laughs> yes, we did. Oh dear, is that a stag outside?
1: I don't know what that means. Oh dear, stag. Okay, fair enough. I thought we were talking about homophones not two words to refer to the same thing. All right, Kurt.
0: Are we a great pair or are we going to
1: have a juicy pair to eat? I don't know. What if we pair our conversation down and it's shorter? That's a three-parter. We got our first three-headed homophone in this episode. Love it. No one's ever going to forget that, even though I barely remember it myself. All right, Kurt. I am going to attempt a three-parter on my own. Ready. It was the last one we co-contributed to. Beautiful. Maybe you can make it a quad, although I couldn't for the life of me figure out how. So sometimes I like to play golf. Infrequently, I'm a hack. I'm not very good, but I do find it to be a fun way to spend time outside with friends having an ambling conversation.
0: Didn't Mark Twain
1: say golf is a good walk spoiled? Yes, he's exactly what he said. So when I come across a par four on a golf course, I end up yelling four so much that my friends wonder what I think my golf clubs are for.
0: Wow. Okay, so you're F-O-U-R, F-O-R-E, and F-O-R. Yes. And if you wanted to throw in the God of Thunder, then you'd have Thor. And
1: again, though while that rhymes, and maybe we should have a fun episode on rhyming, we are discussing homophone.
0: So you love George Carlin. Okay. George Carlin... Had a great use of a homophone. That someone actually told me the other day. He said, "Atheism is a nonprofit organization."
1: Oh, that's very good. Now, nonprofit is a homophone, but he didn't use both of the homophones in his sentence.
0: No, that's a, that's a good one. Give that to us again. Atheism is a nonprofit organization.
1: That's excellent. So, George Carlin is the kind of comic who says things. And you're like, are you allowed to say that aloud?
0: Yes, which is that? what you did there. Yeah. Loud and aloud. That was really good. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, <laughs> again, I'm going off course here, but when I was thinking about the George Carlin quote, I was thinking about what someone also said. You know, the Bronte sisters, right? They wrote all this.
1: Charlotte, and who was the third? Yep.
0: And they wrote, wrote all those novels that I didn't like to read. Wuthering Heights? Well, they didn't write Jane Austen. She wrote Emma, but that's okay. Who wrote Jane Austen? Jane Austen, Jane and Austen, Austen wrote Jane Austen. Right, that was the title
1: of the book. That was the author. Yes, there's no book called Jane Austen. However, you could say... But who wrote Jane Austen? No one. You, now, no Steve one wrote Austen? Jane Austen? Steve Austen was a $6 million man. Spelled differently, actually spelled. Yeah, I think Steve Austin was an I N, wasn't he? Yes. And she was an E N. Yes. Who wrote Jane Austen?
0: No one. It was not a book.
1: She was an author. Right. You keep saying that. What did she write, Emma? Yes, yeah, said Pride and Prejudice. Why did I think it was one of the Bronte sisters? Oh no! But a lot of people do make that mistake. You know why I made that mistake? I wanted people to see how illogical and imprecise I can be too.
0: So. this is more in the pun area, but it's something that people used to say, that Charlotte Bronte is a breath of fresh air. Get it? Breath and fresh air? No. She wrote Jane Eyre, Uh, breath of fresh air,
1: A-I-R versus E-Y-R-E. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking that we were talking about homophones. I now (laughs) remember saying this is more of a pun, but you say that sentence, and I'm like, Which of those two words is, which of those words is a homophone? And the answer is none.
0: Well, air and air, but not in the same sentence. So, What if you're this? What if you are a narc cop, right? And you're in sort of the 19th century literature of the Bronte sisters and Jane Austen, right? And all of a sudden, there's drugs involved. And then there's this woman that is leading the day. What do you do? Do you go after the heroine or the heroine?
1: Oh, very nicely done. Very nicely done. And what I like about that the most is not only is it clever, but it's actually a
0: homophone. And I just thought of it, which is even funnier. You just thought of that? Well, we were talking about the Bronte sisters, and I was, you made me think about homophones versus puns. Well, I think that's good. I wanted you to think about homophones versus puns, because
1: as I've tried to communicate several times in this podcast so far, this episode is about homophones and apparently my personal confusion in days over Jane Austen.
0: John. Yes. If I... You and I were going to have a bunch of people that would congregate together over probably a cow that's been over a fire, and then we wanted to distribute it to everyone. Would we meet over some meat and then meet it out? That's a
1: triple there. That's a triple. You got meat, meat, and meat, of course. So M E A T, the thing I like that, this podcast. Yeah, meat, meat, and meat. That's um that's an impressive whatever you can pull off a triple on your own, that is very worthwhile. So the meat you eat, the meat you do with other people, and then you meet things out. So well done. I feel like responding with a triple decker of my own. So I'm gonna tell you about the time we were driving somewhere and our car broke down and we were stuck on the side of the road, and we saw a toad, and the toad walked across our open-toed shoes before we got towed to a
0: garage. <laughs> now, I would think that through history, homophones would cause a lot of problems, wouldn't they? Like, maybe, but you're not going to give me anything for toad, toad, and toad. That's where I was going with this, which uh, is you no.
1: Know, I, I forgot to trust. Trust the process. Go, Kurt.
0: I was just thinking that I think it's kind of funny in history where people would, well, I guess it's a malapropism in some ways, but it's where you hear something wrong.
1: Well, it depends on whether they understood the use of the word from the other words around it. So context is kind of a big deal. So speaking of meat, I do not eat, I eat plant-based meat, but not regular meat. Another food item that I do not eat And I think this is really an unfair judgment that I probably drew once upon a time. I don't eat beets. And I don't eat beets because I was once eating a salad in a very nice restaurant. And I suddenly became nauseous and had to run to the restroom and take care of my nausea. And I think it was probably something else in the salad, but the beet was the more unusual part of the salad. And I blame beets ever since. So Kurt, I would rather be beat by a beet than to eat a beet.
0: By the way, what, do you, what kind of meter did you use there? That was almost Dr. Susian. I know this is not a homophone in that it's two words in the same sentence, but it does cause the confusion. And Oscar Wilde wrote a whole play, The Importance of Being Earnest. And the homophone there is the name earnest with someone who is earnest, right? And that yeah. causes, and I think in the beginning of the play, the
1: person's neither, right? It is a very funny play. And I think when Ernest meets Jane Austen in the play, it is rip-roaring funny.
0: <laughs> Don't you think that homophones have caused
1: confusion? Of course. Of course, especially, probably more in conversation, since you can't see the spelling of a word in a conversation and you can do when it's written down. But it must cause epic confusion because there are words that sound the same and are spelled differently and mean different things. They're called homophones.
0: Now is the winter of our discontent. Made glorious summer by this son of York. Now, he's looking at the actual S-O-N, son of York, Edward IV. But Edward IV, on his banner, on his standard, on his flag, had a blazing S-U-N, son come. So that was a wonderful play on words homophone. And actually, the way he talked about it in the play is S-U-N, even though it could be S-O-N.
1: That has a strong homophonic quality to it, Kurt, that story. So thank you.
0: So it works in the context of what we're saying. For some
1: reason, yes, it does. For some reason, sailing the high seas has come up a number of times in our conversations. There was the Admiral Nelson when he was sailing the seas. We talked about different knots. So for some reason, we have a nautical quality for no apparent reason. Posh. posh. So maybe it's just a reflection that traveling by sea is just a regular part of life, and it makes sense that we would touch on it from time to time. Do you remember the time that we were sailing the seas when our first mate yells that he sees a pirate ship coming to seize our treasure?
0: You are having fun with it.
1: I'm only doing triples, though, Kurt. These are like triple Lutzes in figure skating without the ice.
0: Seas, seas, and seas. But what about high C, that drink we had when we were young that had no... Oh, my God, that could be a quad. Work it in there. Feed it back to me with high C, and we will have our first quad of this episode. And then they took a break, and they all enjoyed drinks of high Cs. Yeah, when you
1: said work it, I was hoping for you to work it in as opposed to mush it on the end. That was a kludge job. Can I get a better effort from you on that? Jammed it right in there. I'd like you to give it another try. Well, listen, we're sailing the high seas, drinking our high sea, when the first mate sees a pirate ship coming to seize our treasure. That's what I was looking for, something like that, some effort, not just stick it on the end.
0: Do you think because of that, the audience would give me some booze or some booze? Ooh,
1: bravo, bravo. You're back. One of the fun things we do is occasionally we sit around the fire drinking rye, expressing our rye humor.
0: Wait, because when I get hurt, am I going to ale when I'm drinking ale?
1: Well, you could actually ale from drinking ale.
0: Am I going to get a glass of porter
1: from the porter? Are you going to have a bunch of ales from drinking too many ales with Roger (laughs) ales?
0: Can we mix in proper nouns there? You know, you could say this podcast was actually born on a homophone because our very first episode Born on a homophone. I
1: can see it now. Smart drivel. Born on a homophone. It has a ring to it, doesn't it? Well, it does. It has, um, it, it's nice. And, and of course, you're referring to our first episode when we discussed the strange similarities, real and apparent, between pi and pi. So I like that, Kurt. Our podcast was born on a homophone. How many podcasts can say or anything can say they were born on a homophone?
0: What if you came into the side door of the church and there wasn't a priest there, but there was someone else there? And that person said to you, Hey, do you have anything behind your back that is wrong? And you say, I have none, none.
1: Okay. And the side door part of that, was that the whole sneaking in with something behind your back? That was to build suspiciousness in the nun.
0: Exactly. You're not going straight in the main doors. By the way, a lot of those churches, they don't use the big doors anyway. Have you seen that? It's the doors of Florence, right? That cathedral there, the Duomo, that were the beautiful golden doors by someone. Yes. I don't, I don't know it, Kurt. Well, doors used to be a big thing, and by the way, not Jim Morrison and those doors. Mostly because it's spelled the same way, or else it would have been a perfect ad like Roger Ailes. So,
1: Kurt, I mentioned before to you that my wife and I lived in Memphis, Tennessee, in the early nineties, and one of my favorite things to eat was. Cajun food and all of those wonderful roux they make. And I now that we live up here where you can't, up here being the Northeast, where you can't easily find Cajun food, I rue the day that I can no longer eat rue.
0: I see where you're going and I, I'm enjoying the sort of way you're putting these things together. So I will try one myself, which was not what I was originally thinking we'd go with homophones, but I'll try one. You ready? Oh, I'm ready. There was a shepherd boy. How can I do this? There was a shepherd boy who wanted to get all dressed up and find a girlfriend. And they said to him, hey, Bo, put on this bow and go become a bow. Little Bo Peep is B-O. Right. Or a Bo, B-O-W, O-W. to become a bow, beau, B-E-A-U, of a girlfriend. That's a great one
1: because you've got triple points. You thought of that because it's not uncommon for you to walk around wearing a bow tie and having a a sheep's crook, so that one sort of naturally fit into your entire je ne sais quoi.
0: Exactly. We just did foreign words last week, and there were there's a word that's really fun to say. That I, oh, I guess it doesn't come in conversation all the time, but the afikomen isn't that over Hanukkah.
1: Yes, the afikomen is part of the Passover ceremony. Passover. So what happens is... Yeah, I've already given up my uh, my
0: tribesmanship. Well, no,
1: it's... Look, no one's perfect, Herdin. we don't expect you to be. But the aki Komen is some of the matzah that's taken off the table, and it is hidden by the person leading the ceremony somewhere in the house. And at one point in the service, the kids are released to the house to go find it, and whoever finds it has to sell it back to the leader of the dinner or else the dinner can't proceed. Please don't ask me, any second-level detailed questions about what I just said? Because when I was growing up, well, we were not a terribly religious family. And rather than hide the Afi we would joke that we would hide the Haggadah, which is the book you use to actually run the entire Passover dinner. So if you hide the Haggadah, you don't really follow a lot of the customs of the dinner.
0: You don't have any of it, right? Because you can't read it about Elijah coming and all that other stuff. Elijah Cummings!
1: A great congressman from Maryland who, unfortunately, we lost yes. you know, a few months ago. And, of course, we just lost John Lewis, So another great freedom fighter.
0: Elijah, isn't that the whole thing about
1: Passover? It, it is. But up? like Elijah Cummings, we sort of made our own sort of homophone right here with Elijah Cummings. Uh-huh. Have you ever been to a Passover service, Kurt? Uh-huh. Here's have the problem. You to more, have you been to more of <laughs> them than I have?
0: I have, probably, but one of them I went to, and then during the Seder, they pass around the book, and you have to each read some parts
1: That's of That's the Haggadah, the book I just told you about.
0: So it came to me one time, and it just randomly, because the way I passed around, the passage I was supposed to read started with, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jew. And they said, maybe you should skip to the next one or let someone else read that, because it did not ring true. But you said you wanted
1: to be an actor, so that would have been a good time for you to you know, let it all fly and and do your thing. We could probably do an episode, it'd be very fun, on some of our most favorite SNL skits from the 40 plus years that you and I have probably watched that show, at least off and on. And there is an episode hosted by Jerry Seinfeld. And one of the skits is a traditional Seder dinner, family, the door is left open, or at least ajar, so that Elijah can come in. And there's an empty chair set at the Passover table so that Elijah, when he comes in, can join the dinner.
0: So, Was there like some preserves sitting by the door? Was there a jar that was by the door, which was a jar? Uh, there were no spices, but the door was left a
1: jar and there may have been a jar nearby, okay. So obviously, Elijah has never been reported to show up to any one of these. In any event, the whole skit is Elijah finally shows up. It's Jerry Seinfeld, and he acts like a complete asshole. So, throughout history, Jews have been setting their Seder table, and they set a place for Elijah. Elijah the prophet, to go back to your prophet, prophet, one from George Carlin, finally shows up. He's a complete rude jerk. Very funny. Hysterical. Do you have, have a favorite to... SNL skit you want to tease for a future episode? No, I can't. I have, do... another, I have another Jewish ceremony related one, though. They were doing a commercial for a Cadillac, and they were trying to demonstrate just how smooth the ride is. So they had a, a rabbi in the backseat giving a kid uh, circumcision. It was a bris in the back seat to show how smooth the ride was.
0: I, I remember that one. I don't know why this just popped into my head, but the scenario was this. There's a lord, and he wants a child and especially a son for primogeniture to carry on the family, everything. This is in a couple hundred years ago. And he tries to impregnate his wife. And all of a sudden, what if you're the poor slob that has to come in and deliver this terrible news? I'm sorry, sir. She's barren, barren. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: uh, well, that's cool. See, she's barren, barren. So you started that brief presentation with I don't know why this just popped into my head. What percentage of your thoughts during the day, Kurt, could be accurately modified by that statement of self-reflection?
0: You know, there's a tiny bit of something in my head. And if you were probably in the army, I'd say, I have a kernel of a thought, Colonel.
1: That's the exact same structure of the Baron Baron.
0: <laughs> so all right. So maybe 87% of the time, something just pops in my head, and, and sadly, I don't have the discipline to tuck it back away, and it just comes out of my mouth.
1: Well, I don't know if it's a discipline issue. I just think it's a reflection of how your brain works, and I think mine to some extent as well. It sort of has a lateral moving around, and it's not so obvious where things came from.
0: Why are sixth, seventh, and eighth grade now called middle school? We used to call it junior high,
1: high school. And to prove that to people who don't believe that who are young, if you go watch an old episode of The Brady Bunch, you'll remember that all the kids went to Fillmore Junior High School. And the reason I remember that is I think Marsha or one of the girls wanted to be a cheerleader and she was practicing at home. F-F-F-I-L-L-L-M-O-O-O-R-E, Fillmore Junior High. So there you go. There's evidence from the late 60s, early 70s that they were called Junior High School.
0: So named after Millard Fillmore, the uh, former president?
1: I'm going to go with yeah, Kurt. Tell us about Millard Fillmore from your deep reservoir of presidential knowledge.
0: What a great name, Millard Fillmore. I think he was right before James K. Polk. So I think he's probably around the 1830s is my guess, 1840s. Was it a down period for American presidents? No, no. It was an up period. We were actually through tremendous, it was like the precursor was the first industrial revolution. That's true. People out West and we were trying to figure out we had manifest destiny going on.
1: You know what? That's great because, of course, that is right at the launch of the Industrial Revolution when the country really went from being a sort of a backwater agrarian economy to an industrial power. By the way, a little-known fact about what fueled our economic progress is the American patent system, which is an invention really unto itself. Obviously, a lot of the framers came from Britain. And we're familiar with the British patent system. And in the British patent system, you could only really have a patent if you had a lot of money. You had to have the capital to go industrialize and commercialize your patents. So if you were every man, there's no way you could get in the game. So the patent system in Britain was mostly about keeping the wealth at the top of society, whereas the American patent system really democratized patents. And It was very inexpensive for anyone to get a patent, and the whole idea was to unlock the collective genius of America, the American experiment. And if you look at some of the great inventions in the 1800s that fueled the Industrial Revolution, a great number of them came from people who were anything but aristocratic, and it was a big part of us becoming what we became. So there you have that.
0: And if they were wearing some great shoes, they might have been wearing patent leather shoes to get their patents.
1: Yes. Again, not a homophone, but it's a nice way to punctuate the story. My story and your response really is the quintessential smart drivel moment, isn't it? A little smart, a little drivel, and barely on topic.
0: So, John... I think that's a nice button on this, and we have to come to the conclusion of our homophones. Can you leave us with a homophone as we... Yes, I would, Kurt. Thank you very much. Uh, For those of you who have taken a peek into Smart Dribble for
1: the first time or as a returning listener, we appreciate you jumping, in. we hope that this has been a peak form of entertainment for you that has piqued your interest, and we hope you'll come back and listen to many future episodes of Smart Dribble. How's that? You
0: piqued my interest and you got us to the peak of the episode. And uh, please peek in and enjoy more Smart Dribble throughout the week. There's your triptych. Goodbye, everyone. Hey,
1: goodbye. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, everybody.
0: Bye. Bye.